welcome to Ag PhD Radio on Farmer Friday here in the Morton studio. We're taking your calls and agronomic questions all throughout the show at 844-44-AG-PHD. You can also email us if you'd prefer or in addition to calling in if you have more information you'd like us to look at. It's radio at agphd.com. Now, I had a call, Brian, this morning from a farmer on the East Coast, and he said, what's it like out in your area? Guys, in our area, man, it's just tough to make that final decision how many acres should go to each crop because one is pretty profitable, the other's pretty profitable, and there's other options that are even more profitable. They just can't decide between lots of different profitable options. And I said, man, that is something that I never hear in farming, that we have tons of different ways that we have a great shot to make money. I think it's awesome. I think just quit quit worrying about it, get the planter out, put some crap in the ground as soon as it's ready. I've got a senior daughter in high school, and she can't decide between two colleges which one she's going to go to. And I'm like Jetta. At some point, you got to decide because you got to start making plans. And that's kind of the way I look at look at it with your statement there, Darren, is you got to be making plans. And I mean, we're getting really late now. I mean, like really, really, really late. We're already almost done with all our pre-emerge herbicide spraying. And you might say, wait, your ground isn't even fully thought out yet. That's right. We like to spray when the ground is still, there's still some frost in the ground. Works great. Our guys are out spraying this morning. When the, the nighttime temp gets below 32 degrees, that's perfect. Today, it's going to be 50-something degrees, and we were able to go for a couple hours this morning, maybe even three, I'm not sure, but we got a bunch of that spraying done, and now when it comes time to plant, we can just plant. Our herbicides are already out there. Our weeds are already under control. We're in great shape, and we're set to go. So we got our fall fertility work done. We are looking at one of the next things we'll be doing is putting nitrogen fertilizer on for our corn crop, or at least part of our nitrogen program. So... My, my point here is, if it's time to farm, it, it's time to make a decision. You got to go one direction or the other and just pull the trigger. And here's the thing. Hindsight is always twenty twenty. So six months from now or a year, year and a half from now, you're going to say, man, I wish I'd put all my acres to this. Or I wish I would have done 50-50, you know, going half corn, half beans or well, whatever it is. So the thing is, nobody knows for sure right now what is going to be the best. So don't get too worried about it. Like we always say, just spread your risk a little bit. And I, I would say, too, I've had a lot of questions about farmers buying fertilizer ahead, which possibly isn't dumb. It's hard to say. We're at an all-time high price, but people are worried that it's going to go even higher with this Russia-Ukraine thing. People are considering buying seed ahead, ag chem ahead, because they're worried that prices are going to go up. Well, look. It's fine if you want to do some of those things too, but now you're planning into 2023 in what you're raising crop, what crop you're raising. But I would just encourage you, if you're locking in input costs, I would probably suggest, and it's up to you, whatever you do, but I'd probably suggest you sell some crop ahead then. If you're going to buy 2023 inputs, I'd probably sell some 2023 crop. And you can always say, well, I think the market's going higher yet. Maybe it is, but Let's be honest. If the grain markets go higher, what else is going higher? Probably input costs. But if the grain markets go lower and all of a sudden you bought high-priced inputs, well, that's what has ended up happening sometimes to farmers in the last 20 years, and then they're really regretting it. So I just encourage you, if you want to lock in input costs, I'd probably be selling some crop for the future as well. Okay, let's get into the Ag PhD mailbag. It's now mailbag time with Brian and Darren. 
All right, got uh, four samples here from Alan down in Mississippi, and he said, I got three of these I want you guys to look at, the the one that's for corn and the two that are for soybeans. And I'm curious, what would you do in those fields? I pulled a complete Malik analysis uh, through Midwest Labs for you to look at. Okay, so on what says corn, you've got 167 parts per million of potassium, which I would say is is pretty low. But you have 9.1% base saturation K. This is something where we talk about it not often enough on the show. We deal so much with heavy soils here in the Midwest that we start just saying, hey, make sure you got your K in the 4 to 8% range, and you should be in pretty good shape. But that's absolutely not true in light soils. In this case, it's a 4.7 cation exchange capacity. So for many of us, especially here in the Midwest, we'd call that pure sand. Well, when you're farming pure sand, you got to have even more K than that, and you're going to want to add some K throughout the course of the growing season because 167 parts per million of K is not enough to raise a, an unbelievably fantastic crop. So I don't know what your yield goal is, but I would be supplementing that K at least during the season. Right now, yeah, you could get by right now, but soon I'd be putting more K out there. In terms of phosphorus, you're actually at 100 parts per million, which is not too bad, so I wouldn't get too worried about that. Your zinc in ratios may be a little bit on the low side because you're only at 4.4 parts per million on zinc. So we like a 10 to 1 ratio a lot of times. So I'm probably, if it's me on my ground, I'm probably still going to add some phosphorus to the crop, to grow the crop, so I, I don't fall behind and I keep my soil test level up. But you don't have to necessarily, but you probably would benefit from adding a little bit of zinc. Manganese, iron, uh, both over 100 should be good. Copper, 6 uh, should be good. A lot of times we'll talk phosphorus to copper. We want somewhere around a 30 to 1 ratio. You could maybe get by with a 20 to 1 ratio. This is more like 15 to 1 ratio. So that's part of the reason, too, why I'd keep my phosphorus level up. Make sure you're not dropping that phosphorus too low. Boron, sulfur, and nitrogen, you're always going to have to be addressing. You're probably going to need three applications at least during the growing season, if not more. If it's center pivot irrigation, then I would certainly be putting on, or really, quite frankly, almost any source of irrigation, I'd be putting on nitrogen, sulfur, and boron with every single pass. When you go to the soybean fields... All the levels are just lower, so you need yeah, you need K, you need phosphorus. Um, quite frankly, you need almost everything supplemented, and then you should be in better shape. But but I'm just trying to say here, light soil, I would make sure you're spoon feeding all the time, especially those leachables like nitrogen, sulfur, and boron. All right, thanks for the questions. We really appreciate that. It is Farmer Friday, and that's the theme for the day. Taking your calls and agronomic questions at 844-44-AG-PHD. We'll be right back. Do you have crop failures due to flooding, drought, or another event? You may need to consider a better burndown regimen. Adding just two ounces of New Farm Panther SC to your tank mix not only provides faster results, it provides residual that lasts. You gain flexibility to keep your cropping options open. Ask your dealer for Panther SC and get Panther power in your tank. During the Bronze Age, grain sorghum was a common crop in developing agriculture. Today's technology has changed virtually everything, but grain sorghum largely hasn't changed until now. Introducing Emiflex herbicide, 
Paired with iGrowth non-GMO herbicide-resistant grain sorghum, this duo controls foxtail and other tough weeds pre- and post-emergence so you can grow like never before. Make history in your sorghum makers. Start today at sorghumpotential.com. Always read and follow label directions. Your schedule can change by the minute, making it hard to stay on top of the latest agronomy information. But at Ag PhD, we have some good news for you. If you miss an episode of Ag PhD TV or radio, you can catch up at agphd.com. With years of valuable content and the latest episodes available to stream for free, you can continue building your agronomic knowledge on any schedule. While you're there, don't forget to check for upcoming Ag PhD events and workshops. Watch, listen, and learn at agphd.com. The first name and last word in weed control in heavier, higher organic soil types is Authority Edge Herbicide from FMC. This proprietary combination of actives outperforms the competition, delivering up to 14 more days of residual control. Visit your FMC retailer or ag.fmc.com to learn more. Always read and follow all label directions. Authority Edge Herbicide may not be registered for sale or use in all states. It's Farmer Friday on Ag PhD Radio. Thanks for joining us today. We're broadcasting for the Morton Studio, taking your calls and agronomic questions. Our email address is radio at agphd.com, and our phone lines are open at 844-44-AG-PHD. Let's head out to California. Got Steve with us right now. Steve, how's it going? Pretty good. So what's Trying happening? To get off the road here, so I, so I make it sound a little better. There you go. There you go. Well, it's always good to be safe. That's that's the most important thing. And I I know you're probably not driving through snow drifts or anything out there, so that's oh, a plus. Boy, but uh, but what's happening in California? I would I would take the snow drifts. We're we're pretty dry. Um, you know, we had the crazy October six inches, and then not much in November, and then the big snows in December, and then it was. We got a quarter inch here about six, three or four days ago, and that's as much as we've had since January. So we're we're pretty tough. Uh, there's a lot of people working ground that would never be working ground at this time of year. So, <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah, that is unfortunate. We're, we're in that dry situation right now, too. So hopefully you guys get some extra so you can send it this way eventually. But it sounds like you got a, a ways to go just to catch up. Uh, yeah, we're, you know, rainfall-wise, it doesn't sound bad because of the of the crazy October, which is the historic time for us, but, uh, for rain, but now we are, uh, you know, it's just that it's the three months of dry spell. It's, that's really kind of killed everything out here for most of us. And then so, we had a really good frost. And so like if you were a almond guy, uh, got some pretty severe damage throughout the parts of the state that's made things kind of rough too. Oh yeah, that's that's not good. Now, um, when we look at at field work, what's the next thing you will be doing out in the field? Uh, well, up I I farm up north, so it's still kind of cold up there. But we'll be in some fields and and getting ready to put some fertilizer out and trying to oh manage what we can do for fertilizer because the costs are so so high right now. And then we'll start fertilizing our almonds down in the valley. To, here this week too but i mean we're all having to have to make some pretty good decisions on what we're going to do on uh, fertilizer because of the cost you know with almond trees how does fertilizer application happen is it broadcast in between the rows is it banded right along the tree or injected in the soil by the tree how do you do that 
Well, I got micro sprinklers, so I put everything on to the to the to the irrigation system, and that seems to be the most efficient for me. And so that's what we that's what we're doing, right? Uh, well, as soon as this we have a chance to rain, so we're going to let that go by, and then we're going to start hitting the uh, hitting the fertilizer there, and and then, like you say, we're just kind of waiting on the weather here and see what's going to happen. Hay hay might be coming a little quicker in the valley than uh, normal. Yeah, yeah, no doubt about it. Well, Steve, thank you for talking to us today. Really appreciate it. Good luck. Hopefully, you catch some rain soon. Man, send us some. We will we will definitely try. I know I know you're not the only one requesting that. There's a lot of requests for rain in, in different parts of the country right now, but certainly California's been been pretty hard hit. Uh, let's head down to Arkansas, get Robert on with us right now. Robert, what's your moisture situation down there? Well, we're in pretty good shape. Um, not too much standing water. Uh, if we uh, if we could miss the storms they have predicted for us next week, we could possibly do a little field work, but it looks like it's gonna be a wet week for us. You know, that's one thing I think about, too, in the spring is is more times than not, it ends up being wet, and I just don't want to push it if those soil conditions aren't right. And like you say, you get some storms coming next week. What are they talking? Do you get several inches of rain, or, or what's the forecast? Uh, they haven't really narrowed down their predictions on the rainfall. It looks to like one to two inches, but that, that can change. But um, it's supposed to be some bad weather. Um, you know, they're already talking about, uh, storm preparedness and all that sort of thing so that's what we have here in arkansas this time of year you know when the when the air starts changing um we can have some pretty good storms sure sure yeah i, I always think about if i'm gonna get some hail i'd rather have it before my crops up so maybe maybe if that's what happens you get the hail out of your system you don't have to have that again for another year that'd be that'd be okay but i got a feeling our friend steve out in california he'd take whatever you could send him at this point those yeah guys, those guys are it, so dry it sounded like it, and there are several other other places in the country that are really really dry, but we've had uh, we had really almost a normal winter for us, which has been great because the last four years uh, we've been flooded every spring, and um, you know what happened to us in '19, and it, we just now really getting dry, dried out, uh, you know, to kind of a uniform situation from that whole uh, fiasco. But we we put out a little burn down uh, yesterday, uh, used an airplane and uh, getting ready for uh, some corn and some early soybeans and uh, and rice. All right. So talk about that crop rotation a little bit. And we were discussing this just earlier. I had talked to a farmer over on the East Coast, and he said guys in their area were really nervous because they didn't know what they should plant and which one's going to make them the most money. And the easy thing for me is, well, just stick with your rotation, and, and it should work out just fine. But what, what do you think? You sticking with the rotation, or are you kind of mixing things up, trying to make a little more money this year? No, uh, if anything, we'll be we'll cut back a little bit on our uh, corn and soy, our corn and rice, and be a little bit heavier on soybean. That, that's all we'll do. But uh, to be honest with you, that really just fits our rotation for this year. So if we're not really making a, a, a change by the price. We're just it's just this it's the year that we're going to have less of the corn and less of rice in our rotation. Sure, sure. All right, so it's soybeans, so that means Palmer pigweed is going to be a big challenge. What do you do? How do you manage Palmer in your area? We try to put down as many numbers as we can count. Does that make sense? <laughs> <laughs> when we go to the uh, to the MP44 is what we use as our guide, and, and we just try to get as many different types of chemistries as we can 
uh, over the different crops that we use. Uh, and we, we rotate chemicals as much as we rotate um, our, our crops. So it, it's, it's top of mind. We have to stay after uh, the Palmer pigweed and, and lamb's quarter, um, you know, pretty much every year. So uh, just try to get as many numbers in pre-plant or post uh, as we can get. Yeah, that's right. We we just got to get after that thing. And I, I know having a multi-crop rotation is, is certainly an advantage. You get some different chemistries at your disposal. So I, I like your strategy, Robert. That's a that's a good way to go about it. All right, heading into this spring then, are you just kind of waiting for things to dry out? Or is there any other big challenge that you got before you can get stuff in the ground? Uh, the only challenges I guess we're having is like everyone else, input cost prices are, are really hard to budget. Um, we do have almost all of our uh, protection chemicals in which is you know typically we don't do that we typically just buy them as we need them and uh, but that's been a big challenge for us it's getting everything in here and then having to pay the the amount for them that we're having to pay uh, still don't have a really good handle on what we're going to do with our our nitrogen we we get to use a lot of chicken litter so that's kind of filling our p and k needs maybe for a year um, but we're going to have to buy a lot of urea and you know, rice takes a lot, corn takes a lot, and uh, so we're we're a little bit at a loss for that, and that's going to be our big challenge. Well, probably a good year to have a little upswing in soybeans then and not need quite so much exactly. in, at least for one crop. Oh, yeah, it's exactly. it's a challenge this year. Well, it sounds like you had a great strategy getting everything on hand. That's a, a really smart thing to do this year, and uh, hopefully uh, you get a little sunshine coming up and, and the storms are, are just uh, the weathermen getting all excited over nothing. Hopefully it turns out great for you, Robert. We can hope we can hope that that's correct and, uh, and just, just uh, pray for a good season. You bet. Well, thanks, Robert. Really appreciate having you on. Okay, thank you. You know, Brian, Robert made a great point there about getting product home, and he said a lot of times we'll just pick up things as we need them. Uh, I know you've been talking about that all year, that that you recommend just get everything you need for the whole season home, and then you don't have to worry. Yeah, what's going to end up happening here as the season progresses is more and more things are going to get sold out. Now, I'd say, too, I do think that next year supply is going to be much better. I think prices on at least some items are going to be a lot better. I think glyphosate and glufosinate are going to go way down, for example. But this spring is just different. And I realize you may have been farming for a long time, just like I have. But this year is an aberration. You can't just look at, well, I've always done it this way. I have always waited to pick my stuff up then. My retailer is going to take care of me, things like that. My advice to everybody, just please get your product early, and then you're going to be in good shape come spring because the last thing you want to have happen when we have these great commodity prices is you, you lose yield because you couldn't get the products you want all right stay tuned we're going to get back to the phone lines right after this the value of your farm building is in its ability to protect what's stored inside that's why morton buildings ensures that every machine storage and insulated workshop we build will provide superior strength and durability As a 100% employee-owned company, we're all committed to being the industry leader with a focus on innovation, service, quality, and most importantly, customer satisfaction. To get started on your next project, please visit MortonBuildings.com. Protect your empire. Rule your fields with dual modes of action. 
low-use rate Authority Supreme herbicide from FMC combines Group 14 and Group 15 modes of action for pre-plant and pre-emergence control of key broadleaf weeds and grasses. A preventative application keeps your fields clean when it matters most to crop productivity. Visit your FMC retailer or ag.fmc.com to learn more. Always read and follow all label directions. It's planting season. Race against the clock season. Mistakes can't happen season. And no one helps you face it all like John Deere. Putting technology in your hands that gets you in and out of the field faster. That makes your spacing and depth more accurate. And that gives you the confidence that this season will be your best season. See what you have to gain at johndeere.com slash gain ground. Boost your productivity and profitability with Soil Warrior from Environmental Tillage Systems. Improve fertilizer efficiency and your yield potential in just one strip-till pass. Now that's ROI. Contact us today at SoilWarrior.com. Improve germination in your fields with the Germinator Closing Wheel from Farm Shop MFG. Our unique spike design seals your seed within a firm vein of soil, providing maximum seed-to-soil contact and maximum germination. Order a set for your planter at farmshopmfg.com. Ag PhD has one mission, to give you the knowledge you need to make your farm more successful. That's why every issue of the Ag PhD Insider Magazine features crop fertility and pest management tips, insights into the world's highest yielding farmers, updates and results from our infield research trials, as well as the latest agronomy information from Brian and Darren Hefty. We put it all in one place so you can make your farm more productive and profitable. Subscribe to the Ag PhD Insider at agphdinsider.com. Soybean growers are dealing a swift blow to tough broad leaves and grasses with the two-in-one power of Moccasin MTZ. Moccasin MTZ combines the power of s metolachlor and a higher load of Metribuzin for outstanding weed control right from the outset with extended residual control to keep tough weeds down, including pigweed, water hemp, ragweed, and mare's tail. In addition to annual grasses like foxtail and barnyard grass, ask your retailer about Moccasin MTZ and always read and follow label directions. listening to Ag PhD Radio. Thanks for joining us. It's Farmer Friday, which means we're taking your calls and agronomic questions all throughout the show at 844-44-AG-PHD. Let's head out to Indiana. Got Joe with us right now. Joe, how are you doing today? Oh, I'm, I'm fabulous. The sun's shining here, but we're just waiting for the rain to start pouring down. Well, we could use some of that rain over here. So if you get a little extra, you know, we, we would take that, Joe. Yeah, the... Uh, we uh, we just watched the river uh, Ohio River go off most of our fields, and uh, so now we uh, hopefully the the elevators will be able to get barges, and we can haul the corn that we've been waiting on to haul, and and uh, the fields will start drying up. Now, as soon as those fields get dry, how how quick will you be out in the field, and what will be your first jobs you need to take care of for planting this year? Um, First job is to go around and clean up all the stalk lines that the Ohio River left us and pick up all the what we call driftwood, outhouses, old old decks off of, of river camps and uh, and a bunch of wood and plastic bottles would be the first thing we do. Our Some of our neighbors even started burning their drift lines yesterday and two days ago we had our first neighbor plant uh, 30 acres of soybeans on a ridge 
uh, nothing like being 30 years old and, and aggressive. Yeah, yeah, no doubt about it. Well, we'll see how that turns out. I, we just had a guest on our show yesterday who said, on Monday, I'll be planting. I'll be planting. And he's not that far away from where we farm, so I know he's taking a chance out there. Uh, you know, when you get stuff all cleaned up, you, I assume you've got fertility work to do. And do you have to do some tillage then after you've been flooded like that? Yeah, we'll have uh, some tillage work, and uh, some of it will be uh, we'll just smooth up the rough spots and, and no-till the rest of it. Uh, or we'll, uh, you know, we, we have everything here, conventional tillage and, and, uh, and, and, and no-till both. And, and we've got a few cover crops to kill on the, on the ground that doesn't flood quite as much. So there's a lot of activity to, to be happen, right. You know, at planting time at our house and all the anhydrous in, in my neck of the woods all goes on later side dress. So there's not much of that. It's just try to get the crop in the ground as fast as you can and, and then, uh, then let it grow to the three or four collars and side dress. Let me ask you a question about that cover crop you were talking about. You said you were going to burn that down. Do you plant first and then burn it down, or do you burn it down so you're planting into something brown? We're, we try to plant into something brown. We're, we're not set up to plant green. Yeah, everybody does that a little bit different. I'm, I'm just always curious about that, and I, I know what it's like planting into stuff that's brown. We just haven't ever planted into something big and green like that that I can remember anyway. But, um, you know, when you look at the crop mix for this year, is it going to change anything up the way the markets are or the way the fertilizer prices are, or are you kind of sticking with your rotation? Um, no, we, we dropped our – we're usually 50-50, but we're uh, – we're going to be more like 40% corn, 60% soybeans. We, we've got some of that not high-end uh, ground, and that corn that you don't think is going to make over 150 the, the uh, $1,550 anhydrous uh, just doesn't work very well if you don't think you're going to get over 150 bushel corn. So some of those fields are going to get second or third-year beans. Sure, sure. Yeah, I, I'm hearing yeah. a lot of the, the soybean thing, and, and a lot of it revolves around the fertility price. Even though soybean prices have been good, and, and I guess should be able to make some money on soybeans, it seems like the, uh, hey, I don't have to spend all that money on nitrogen is a real positive this year. That is, that is a fact, and and we're uh, nitrogen prices have went up about $80 a ton here in the last uh, week at our house, I guess. Uh, the Ukrainian war is is uh, taking its toll on everything. Everything. Uh, yeah, just just what we need more more high price fertilizer. Obviously, uh, feel for everybody involved in that war. We don't want that either, and that would be uh, a much worse situation. But but you're right. Being on the other side of the world here, uh, we certainly feel the economic impacts already too. Hey, Joe, thank you so much. Really appreciate sure. having you on. Good luck. Hopefully, you don't catch too much rain here. Yeah, that's right. You have a great day. Thank you. You bet. You as well. Uh, let's head over to Wisconsin. Got Gene on with us right now. Gene, how's it going? Oh, pretty good. We're finally getting some rain today. Well, rain and a little, few snowflakes too. Yeah, so we get that mix this time of year, which kind of keeps things interesting. But but uh, you guys were dry, so you need the moisture. Yes, we were really dry last fall. We got a spring house where we kept in the yard down here, and that's probably run it's the most it's run since about 2012. Hmm. Interesting. Interesting. All right. So I know, uh, I know high yields are, or what everybody wants to get this year. Do, does it look like we're set up to have a good shot to do that? Oh, uh, depends upon mother nature. I guess if we keep getting the rains, you know, I'm sure we could, but we, we were real short last fall here in, in our neighborhood here. 
So how did that change things then in terms of uh, setting up this crop? Do you, do you do fertility work? Do you do any kind of tillage or seedbed prep in the fall that, that that changed things on you? It really hasn't as of yet. We, you know, we do some chisel in the fall and then we do some no-till in the spring here. Sure. We plant. Sure. Okay, so so this spring it's been a little above normal for temperature. If you get a warm spring, how early would a guy plant in your area? Um, I usually don't want to start until at least the 15th. I'd rather wait until the 20th, and it all depends upon the temperatures too. Sure, sure. You know, well, if the soil temperature is up there, you know, we might go ahead and, you know, start planting the 15th. I know if we get it's usually in that time frame of the twentieth to the twenty fifth of April. Okay, gotcha, gotcha. I know if we get some sunshine here when when we've got dry soils, it seems like they warm up a little faster, just having to heat up air instead of water. So maybe maybe that'll play into our favor. We'll get stuff into some nice warm ground to catch some rain on it. That would be that would be good. And you know the good thing about not catching rain is you get lots of sunshine. So if we could just get a little bit of moisture to get started off, it, it could be a good year. Yeah, it could be, but you know, we're up here. We're going to keep getting rains. <laughs> rains week after week. All right. So, so uh, in terms of disease, do you get tar spot up your way? I'm, I think I'm trying to think if we had talked to you about that in the past. If, if that hadn't quite made it that far yet. Yeah, it's here. It wasn't too bad last fall, but the fall before some of it, you know, it seemed like it was worse than. So at this point, is your management practice just spraying fungicide around tassel time, or do you do something different? Uh, I think we're going to do the fungicide. Yeah. Yeah, I wish and the try seed... Try and get it at the time that it needs to be put on, too. Yeah, the seed companies I know are working on tolerance here, but I don't have a high level of confidence yet that that I could find too many numbers that are just going to completely avoid the problem. So I, I agree with you. I think the fungicide's a good strategy, at least at this point. Yeah, right. And the soybeans this year, are you thinking of doing anything different with them, with, with population or, or trait package or anything else? Uh, I don't know. We've been we trying a little fungicide on them, too, and it seems to help. Now, last year, our beans were, you know, normal. I mean, we had 70 bushel beans. Wow. But, uh, you know, it's Mother Nature again. We're getting the rains in August, for which we get need for the bean crop. In July, you know, the weather's for the corn crop. Right. And then right. come the first of August, we started to get in some rains. You know, we had last year the the smoke at a high level was rolling over, and I know it really cooled off things for us in July. Did you did you yeah, guys get right. the same thing? And did did you feel like that was almost a positive after the hot June we had, or or did you see that that it hurt things? Oh God, it's really hard to tell. You know, we got some, you know, but I don't know if it hurt us. You know. Maybe it kept the temperatures down a little bit, you know, with all the smoke in the air. Sure. But, uh, other, otherwise, I'm not sure if it really helped or hindered us. Yeah, I, I guess there isn't much we could do about it one way or the other. I was happy that it was definitely a little cooler here, and uh, yeah. we, we needed a break after a hot June, no doubt about that. Well, yeah, Gene, right. uh, hopefully you catch that rain to get charged back up so you're ready to go for some more record-setting yields this year. And I uh, wish you good luck, and thanks for talking to us today. Yep, you bet. You have a good day and a good planning season, too. You bet. Thank you. 
Uh, Brian, you got a question on 2,4-D, and this one came in from Victor. He said, how much 2,4-D do you mix per liter? I'm going to spray it around the farmyard. And this is one of those things when we were kids, we we would mix up some Roundup to, to spray a weed here or there, or we'd mix up some 2,4-D. I, I don't know exactly how many... Uh, milliliters per liter, but here's how I look at it, Victor. I look at it as is a, a 20 to 1 ratio on something like amine or a 4-pound ester uh, or on a 6-pound ester, maybe a 30 to 1 kind of mix. Uh, but the new Freelex, would you say that's more like the 4-pound ester, Brian? It is 4-pound. Well, it's 4-pound. 20 pound. to 1, 20 to 1 yeah, mix. Yeah, it's a 4-pound material. Well, probably. Brian, Brian that's a starting a little, point. That's Brian. a starting point. But it all depends on how fast you're going to walk. So you just do this one time, see if it works. If not, you have to bump the rate a little bit. Stay tuned. We'll be right back. If you've ever wondered how the Farmall got its name, here's an abbreviated list of the jobs the Case IH Farmall can do. Baling, cutting hay, feeding, hauling, loading, pulling, raking, cleaning barn, mixing feed, fertilizing, mowing, chopping, seeding, clearing, irrigating, furrowing, cultivating, hitching, digging, emergency tow, harrowing, hoisting, leading parades, excavating, grading. <sighs> Let's make it simple. This tractor does it all. So no matter what you're doing, can do comes in red. Farmall. Learn more at caseih.com farmall. What do you think of when you hear Palmer, Amaranth, or Water Hemp? If you use fierce herbicide in your soybean fields, you don't have to think about them at all. With two effective modes of action and up to eight weeks of residual control, fierce takes on even the toughest weeds like Water Hemp and Palmer, Amaranth. Take control of your soybean fields and get incentives from Bayer Plus Rewards when you choose the power of fierce herbicide. Talk to your local retailer today to put fierce to work in your fields. Always read and follow label directions. Did you know soybean diseases like white mold and sudden death syndrome can survive in your soil even after rotating crops? Prevention of these diseases is a constant battle and yield loss from an infection can be devastating. The right management plan makes all the difference. Keep your beans safe this spring with Heads Up Seed Treatment. Heads Up guards your seed from both white mold and SDS. Stay protected and profitable by asking your seed dealer for Heads Up. Learn more at headsupst.com. Every week for more than two decades, AgPhD TV has provided agronomic information to make your farm more productive and profitable. In each episode, we discuss a wide range of topics covering everything from crop fertility, promoting soil health, improving the environment, pest control, and more. All designed to help you push your farm to higher yield goals and more profitability. Be sure to catch us on Tuesdays and Saturdays on RFD TV. Check your local listings or visit agphd.com to learn more. It's smart to make the right agronomic choices, and it's even smarter to get rewarded for them. With the Bayer Plus Rewards Program, you earn cash back on seed, herbicides, and other eligible products. And it keeps getting smarter, because now you can earn an additional 10% bonus when you send your redemption check to your retailer. To learn more, contact your retailer today. Protect your yields and get the most from your land with Bayer Plus Rewards. Visit MyBayerPlus.com and see program terms and conditions for full details. Are you worried about nitrogen loss this spring? Well, we asked retailers what they thought about Instinct NextGen Nitrogen Stabilizer from Corteva AgriScience. What they said was so inspiring, we got an actor to reenact it. <clears throat> it's a great return on investment. A great return. Investment, investment. Great return. All right, I think I'm ready to record. It's that simple. Instinct NextGen is a great return on investment because it protects your nitrogen. Learn more at protectnitrogen.com. 
back. You're listening to Ag PhD Radio. You're broadcasting from the Morton studio today on a Farmer Friday, taking your calls and agronomic questions at 844-44-AG-PHD. Let's head down to God's country, Oklahoma, with Luke. Luke, how are you doing right now? I'm doing well. It's God's country now. We got a little bit of rain, so excellent, excellent. That's a good. That's a good thing. Okay, so talk to us. What's going on out in the fields right now? There. Well, we're we just got back from the Kinsey class, and by all means, you guys just knocked it out of the park again. I mean, I I went up there thinking that magnesium. He'll spend maybe one day on it, maybe a half a day. I had no clue that magnesium was that integral in the system that we operate in. So kudos to you guys on doing a great job and then bringing Neil in as well. But, oh, uh, thanks. You know, the uh, uh, RMA approved intercropping this year, and so we've been out doing some strip placement on uh, fertility for beans in our wheat, hoping that we can get those beans planted before we harvest the wheat. And, uh, yeah, we're pretty excited doing some different rates and, and, uh, variabilities with that and messing with calcium, you know, water treatment lines. So kind of excited about the, the frontier that's ahead. Yeah, no doubt about it. All right. So talk to us about this intercropping because we have not done that on our farm. Uh, what are, what are the big mistakes that you learned from right away and said, okay, don't do this or, or maybe some big wins that you said, oh, this worked out great. Well, I've been so concerned. Now, when I'm talking intercropping, I'm talking about planting a crop into the existing crop. So they would be um, symbiotic together. So it's not planting like a strip of beans and then skipping over and planting a strip of corn. It's actually planting beans into the drilled wheat on tram lines. And then we cut the wheat uh, over top the beans. And then once the wheat comes off, it gives the beans an opportunity to grow. So we actually haven't done it just because of RMA's uh, restrictions, but some guys have advocated for that, and now they've got it approved uh, on written agreement. So we built a, a machine that's uh, on a four-wheel drive tractor to where to run down lines on RTK, and so, yeah, we're works. <laughs> this is first year, so we'll see what plays out. Are they recommending that you change the population up on the beans at all or, or just run normally how you would? Well nobody's really doing this on a scale that's 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 functional i guess um most guys are leaving wider strips out and so we're going to run with our same 120 hoping for a 80,000 live stand i guess our goal is what we have a problem with is is getting through a lot of the residue from the combines even if we chop it well um with all that residue standing we're going to be able to get fantastic seed placement um in that that's that straw but then that crop still has an opportunity to grow up through that residue once it's spread and so that's our whole goal is to be able to get a better stand get it in quicker to where we can maximize some of them earlier rains um there before r1 so when is wheat harvest normally so i'm just trying to gauge how big those beans are going to be when you're cutting the wheat well and so that's what we really got to time uh very closely but we usually wheat harvest around first week or two of June. And so we're thinking around the first week of May just so, and then I go back to Kip Cullors, you know, Kip says, if you can brush hog them off eight times throughout the growing season, you can stack them nodes in and really set um, a good structure of the plant. Well, what we deal with is sometimes, and you and Brian all the time talk about trying to sell as much water 
to the elevator. And so it's always in the back of my mind when you, when we sell eight moisture wheat, uh, well, there's a lot that we're giving up at that point. And so what we've seen in the past when we cut green material with the wheat, just because of weed control issues or whatever we've had, we increase the moisture in that wheat. So instead of cutting eight moisture wheat, if we cut those beans off as it goes through the separator, increasing the moisture value in that wheat, now we're selling water and we don't do anything, but just cut it and send it to the elevator. So that's the goal. Just figure out how can we maximize everything that we get out of this crop. So, yeah, that's going to be interesting. I know from a weed control standpoint, having that wheat crop out there has got to help you too. You bet. Yeah. I mean, and, and we're getting to the point that, and that's another issue we're dealing with is time the beans come off. We're in the, this will be our seventh year in this wheat bean rotation continually is because the wheat goes in there around Thanksgiving. We can still cut a really good crop if the fertility is right, but the problem is, is we just don't get a lot of tillering, so we don't have a lot of, of residue to keep that good cover that we like to see. So the goal is get the beans out earlier, get the wheat in earlier to where uh, we can start building a lot more organic material uh, to cover the ground. Excellent. All right, last question for you then. You mentioned the magnesium earlier. How did that change what you're doing on your farm? Are you going to be putting any magnesium out this year? <laughs> Well, it's I'm, cheap. I'm sure it's cheap, Luke. It, it honestly, <laughs> it it is cheap in reference to all the micros. Magnesium sulfate, thirty percent, thirty four percent product is only eighty cents a pound, and so in reference, yes, it is cheap. But I, <laughs> all them dollars have been expended towards you know MP and K, and it's like I just don't have any. And then plus, we're kind of behind the gun. You know, we're starting to join at this point, so. Uh, it gives me a lot of stuff to plan for next year, I guess, if that makes sense. Well, that's that's a good thing about farming is uh, we, we learn stuff all the time. And uh, as long as you keep living, there's another crop coming the next year. So we get another shot to, to do it all over again. Well, Luke, thank you so much. Really appreciate, uh, appreciate the phone call today and also appreciated having you up at the Kinsey meeting. Good luck to you going into the spring. All right. You as well. Thank you. Brian, uh, I had a question uh, about gibberellic acid. I know a lot of times we'll talk about that. Uh, when are you guys putting on gibberellic acid in the spring? What crops will you use gibberellic acid on? And what kind of rate do you use? Does that go by parts per million? Does that go by a certain percentage? Or is it just a, a rate per acre? Rate per acre. Rate per acre. I would say the only crops we're going to use it in would be, okay, so Technically, we won't do this. We don't have any pasture anymore ourselves. We own a bunch of pasture, but we rent it out. But if we had our own cattle on that pasture, we would absolutely be using Rise Up every single spring and every single fall because you will get more grass tonnage. That's a proven fact if you spray it at the right times. And it's, it's really cheap. It's like five bucks an acre. So it's, it's just no big deal. Um, the product we have been using is Rise Up Smart Grass, and that is from Valent. That's there. There are many different gibberellic acid products out there, so you can look at the labels on those. But for example, with this one, there's no label saying it needs to be a certain concentration. They just talk about three tenths to six tenths of an ounce in corn, whereas in in pasture it'd be three tenths to one ounce. Per acre. Okay, so let's talk about the corn quick because that's where we actually will use it. So we've got a big dairy near us and they're going to buy silage from us again this year. 
Because it's silage, I want tons. I also want yield, but I want tons. So what we can do is we can elongate that stem. We can produce more tons by spraying, rise up in the spring. What we're looking for ideally is the nighttime temps probably in the 40s and 50s, the daytime temps getting not much hotter than 70. We hit it at that point and then we're in good shape. Just say understand too, this is a nat what we would call a natural product because gibberellic acid exists in the plant. What we're trying to do is we're trying to trick the plant into thinking things are better than they are earlier in the season. So for example, when the weather warms up, then you're going to see a lot of elongation. So think about June or maybe it's early July in your area when corn really takes off when the heat comes or almost any crop. The heat comes and all of a sudden you're like, wow, we got lots of growth here. That's great. Okay, well, that's the plant because it warmed up. Now the plant says, all right, well, things are good. We're going to produce more gibberellic acid to elongate the stem. We want to do this even when the weather's cold so we get more tons. So that's the reason why we'll use the gibberellic acid products. All right. If you've got a question that you're thinking about for your farm, planting is right around the corner for, for many folks. And, and also the crop is just getting up and growing in different parts of the, the country as well. Uh, we'd love to hear from you. It's 844-44-AG-PHD. Or if you've got a soil test or a tissue test that you'd like us to take a look at, you can email those, radio at agphd.com. We'll dive back into the Ag PhD mailbag right after this. Revitech fungicide from BASF has been specifically developed for the selective soybean grower who doesn't compromise. If you think good is good enough, if you're okay with just achieving rather than overachieving, if average is your goal, this is not the fungicide for you. Revitech fungicide, brand new chemistry, three no excuse modes of action, zero modes of compromise. Sounds like the fungicide for you. Revitech fungicide from BASF, that's smart. Always read and follow label directions. Introducing Kyber Soybean Herbicide from Corteva AgriScience, the newest Premium Group 15 pre-emergent solution. Kyber delivers three effective modes of action for long-lasting residual activity, meaning your fields won't just be clean, they'll be Kyber clean. And what is Kyber clean? Well, it's a little like... Nice fields! See the difference at kyberherbicide.com soy. That's K-Y-B-E-R herbicide.com soy. Don't let resistant weeds win on your field. Herbicide-resistant weeds are a fierce competitor of corn growers. Tough 5EC, a selective contact herbicide manufactured by Belgium Crop Protection, can help. Tough 5EC synergizes HPBD inhibitors and enhances the effect of PS2 herbicides. Add Tough 5EC to your post-emergence tank mix team and beat resistant weeds. Ask your local retailer about Tough 5EC or visit BelgiumUSA.com. Always read and follow label instructions. Your schedule can change by the minute, making it hard to stay on top of the latest agronomy information. But at Ag PhD, we have some good news for you. If you miss an episode of Ag PhD TV or radio, you can catch up at agphd.com. With years of valuable content and the latest episodes available to stream for free, you can continue building your agronomic knowledge on any schedule. While you're there, don't forget to check for upcoming Ag PhD events and workshops. Watch, listen, and learn at agphd.com. 
what does it really mean to provide the best crop nutrition? With AgroLiquid, it means getting a one-of-a-kind approach, one that caters to your specific agronomic needs. You're getting experts who will work with you to create a program unique to your operation, all while accounting for the quality of your soil and the products you're already using. It's not just a product, it's peace of mind knowing we've thought of everything. That's the AgroLiquid way. Apply less, expect more. Find a retailer at agroliquid.com. What do you think of when you hear Palmer amaranth or water hemp? If you use fierce herbicide in your soybean fields, you don't have to think about them at all. With two effective modes of action and up to eight weeks of residual control, Fierce takes on even the toughest weeds like water hemp and Palmer amaranth. Take control of your soybean fields and get incentives from Bayer Plus Rewards when you choose the power of Fierce herbicide. Talk to your local retailer today to put Fierce to work in your fields. Always read and follow label directions. Back, you're listening to Ag PhD Radio on Farmer Friday. Taking your calls and questions at 844-44-AG-PHD. And Brian, we got a wheat herbicide question that came in from Lorenzo. Lorenzo said, uh, hey guys, uh, listen to your show quite often, and we're trying to do minimum till on our land, but don't spray pre-emerge herbicides on our wheat. So we're wondering about the difference with Husky Complete and Husky FX. We've got some fields that have some pretty dense mats of kochia. We currently spray the Husky Complete, just wondering if economically it may be better to spray one or the other. And I'm going to throw this one in too, Brian. Uh, what about that pre-emerge? If they used a pre-emerge, how much do you think that would help? Would that make it? Uh, would that make Husky Complete work better? I think Husky FX is a better choice for the kochia personally. Well, okay. Let's step back a second and talk about what each of these things are. Husky Complete versus Husky FX, two totally different things. Well, I shouldn't say totally, two partially different things. They both contain Husky, and what Husky is, it's an HPPD, kind of like a Callisto-type product, and then Bucktrill. So you've got an HPPD and Bucktrill in both of them. Then the difference is Husky Complete has a grass killer, Varro, in it that also has some activity on non-ALS-resistant weeds because it's an ALS herbicide, so it's going to have no activity on your kochia since we know most kochia is resistant to ALS herbicides. Then you go to Husky FX, the extra component, Starane, which is the best kochia killer that there is. So... Here's another option for you. You could, if you wanted to, take Husky Complete if you think you're getting grass control there and you want to keep that grass control and you could spike in starring. Or you could run Sharpen Pre-Emerge, which is what we're going to recommend to you either way because you said you have lots and lots of kochia. All right, you got to start with a Pre, and by far the best one is Sharpen. It's going to cost you around 10 bucks an acre for the two ounce rate. It'll be really, 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 really good for you. Then you can see what you have post-emerge. Go spray your Husky Complete, but right before you spray, just scout and say, okay, do I have low pressure now of kochia, which you should because the Sharpen will take most of it out. Or if you have high pressure and let's say by chance you don't have a lot of grass out there, well, fine, then switch over to Husky FX. So anyway, that, that those are the differences, and those are our recommendations. But for sure, start with Sharpen. You will be happy you did. 
All right, Brian, uh, got a question that came in from Will down in Louisiana. And Will said, last year's soil test, this year's soil test, uh, some information about Bahia grass and also uh, fertilizer recommendations from Midwest Labs. Uh, Will says, uh, guys, here here it all is. Here's all the information. I got to make a decision here on how I do it. Uh, one, one last comment that I would make is the CEC is really low in this soil, and I'm not sure how much nitrogen uh, that I could apply. I'm going to spread it out over five applications. Just curious what your thought is on that one. Okay, so we gave him some recommendations last spring on the radio, and he he was going to follow those recommendations. But Darren, here's the key thing that he sent along. He said we could not get into the field for 93 straight days because of rain. <laughs> if it's 93 days you can't get back into the field, I don't care what you do you're not going to have a great crop. So it's it's very frustrating. I, I can't say that I'm going to change our overall recommendations much from what we told you last year. Other than this, there are two different samples. And it, let's see. Oh, I'm, oh, okay, I got it. One says 2022 and the other is 2021. Okay, I didn't see that that's what we were looking at. I better put those side by side here for myself. All right, so in 2022... What we're seeing is there's a lot more magnesium now in the soil. Last year we had said, all right, you got like 5% magnesium in your soil. You better put a little magnesium on. So he did put some on, and now his ratio is better. And also he put some lime on. Well, he had pHs in the 4s. Now he has pHs in the 5s. Now we'd still recommend getting that pH up to 6 or maybe just a little bit more. But understand this, lime usually takes time to break down. Now in your conditions where there's lots of rain and heat, Maybe it is able to fully break down in one year. A lot of times we'll figure three, four, five years, but maybe most of it's broken down. I still don't know if I'd put lime on two years in a row just to be on the safe side, especially with that light soil. All right. Um, I, 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 again, can't say I'm going to change a whole lot from what we told you last year to what we told you this year. You might need just a just a whiff of lime, just a tiny, tiny amount of lime. You definitely need potassium because that's in your soil with that amount of rainfall. And we're talking cation exchange capacity here is of four to six, four to six. So it's it, it's almost pure sand. So you're going to need some K on a regular basis. You're going to need boron. You're going to need sulfur. You're going to need some nitrogen and you're you're gonna have to just continue to try to spoon feed. That's our that's always gonna be our best recommendation for you on your ground. One other thing that I will throw out because I didn't let's see I don't think I saw that on last year's stuff was copper. And I realize it's a minor thing. It's no real huge deal. But what we're talking about on your soil test is 0.2 to at the very most 0.7. But most of the samples are 0.2 to 0.4 parts per million is all. So you could use a little bit of copper out there too, just something that uh, that we would consider if it was our ground. And yeah, good luck. Hopefully you don't have rain and you can get in there a lot more often than once every 93 days because you're, you're going to need to. All right. Thank you for the questions. Really appreciate that. Brian, I had some soil tests here and then one tissue test that, that may come in useful. So keep that one handy. This one comes from Philip out in Montana. He said, guys... Uh, we do a winter wheat peas, winter wheat barley rotation, all dry land crop. I've been no-till since 2010. 
and we're shooting for wheat that has high protein as well. So we've been spoon feeding in out there, uh, putting on 25 units with the drill, 60 units at dormancy break, and then 10 gallons of 20, 28 right before flag leaf, 50 bushel wheat, 60 bushel barley. We're having problems with low sulfur, so we're thinking about adding ammonium thiosulfate at dormancy break. And we're also seeing more low pH zones out in fields. Uh, we've got five to six inches of topsoil is all here. So, of course, fertility in water is just a huge deal. Uh, we know that our calcium is really high and magnesium really low. But what would you do to raise a crop this year? Okay, so I don't see any low pH zones. I don't see anything below seven unless I'm missing. Oh, yeah. Okay, here's one. Well, there, there's, six, a five, there's a bunch of samples. There's a bunch of samples. Now, here's the thing, Brian, and just for our listeners, we're looking at soil samples that on average have about 90% calcium based saturation and magnesium based saturation, maybe around seven, something like that. So I'd look at those and I think, okay, if Neil Kinsey was doing these samples, which these were done at a different lab, he would be running a cation displacement test to see is that calcium actually real we've got some soils in our farm with free lime in them where you can actually see little white chunks out in the soil and that's just calcium when you have that it can really throw off a sample right and they don't have a free lime test so that is one of the tests that we do like to see uh, on there so i'm not that worried about the magnesium thing i am however worried about the potassium and you don't have anything that's what we would consider low pH. The lowest you got is 6.5. I just looked through all the samples. So you're good to go on that. But I'm going to keep pushing the potassium. And I realize that labs are going to tell you, oh, you're in good shape because you have 200 parts per million of potassium. You don't have good levels. You're, you're, you're not in good shape because there's so much calcium and a fair amount of magnesium out there as well. So you just got to keep working on a build program over with potassium. This year is not the year to go crazy on potassium. You want to put just a little bit more than crop removal on this year, a slight build program. But as soon as K level, K prices go back down at some point, then if it's me, oh, I'm pushing that K. So that's probably the biggest so thing much, that I see. So how much weight do you put into the tissue sample then, Brian? Because the tissue sample shows, yes, the sulfur is definitely low. And when you look across there on one of the tissue samples, the magnesium was really low. But they don't really give you a, a rating of, hey, you're shooting for this yield goal. And we need right. to have a certain number. So it's hard to put too much weight into that. But, I mean, it does look like something that you can certainly play with fairly inexpensively. You could do some foliar applications of magnesium if you wanted to bring that up. Okay. So here's the other thing. This says date sampled June 7th, date received June 22nd. So on the plant tissue samples. So I don't know if the sample sat for a long time, but that can throw off data number one. Number two, you only tested one time. And granted, having one test is better than no tests. But honestly, you have to test every week through the growing season to see, okay, was this an aberration? Am I usually low? Where am I usually at? But yes, you definitely should be adding sulfur when you're adding nitrogen. And I would really take a look at boosting my K levels and you'll be in better shape. Uh, work on your copper a little bit too. Copper is kind of low at one, one and a half parts per million. All right. Thanks for the question, Philip. And thanks to you for listening. Be sure to join us again each weekday for more Ag PhD Radio.